Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 to 14 is our main text today. Okay? Okay, you guys know what? We've been in Ephesians for, what, six, eight months? And it's like only six chapters. This morning, we've come to some words that perhaps you thought you would never hear. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren. (laughs) We are closing in on the end of this book, so I figure, you know what, 15 more verses? That should be about Christmas. We should be done. He says, finally, my brethren, which means in light of all that I've already written you, right? So that's my chance. Chapters one, two and three. Basically, it says, Christian, you are wealthy. Uh, We saw a great illustration of that in chapter two. Basically, a picture of us as zombies. You were living, but you were walking around dead just to satisfy your own craving. It's just walking aimlessly. But God rescued you and seated you in the heavenlies, right? Christian, you are wealth. You are now wealthy. So chapters four, five and six. Therefore, walk worthy. Talking about how to walk worthy of this great high calling, this amazing privilege that we don't deserve. There's no reason that we that God would bestow upon us the great riches that he has. But the call is to walk worthy of that call. And in chapter five, he he began to get specific with us. Paul did uh, by the power, by the power and the teaching of the Holy Spirit. Chapter 5, he's basically saying, look, this is what that worthy walk looks like. Used to walk around dead like a zombie. Now walk like royalty. And this is what it looks like. It's a spirit-filled life. This is what the royal spirit-filled walk looks like. And, And he began to talk with wives and to husbands and to children and to parents and to employees and employers, right? He says, look, your walk is supposed to be completely different than the people around you. And especially from different than the, the life that you lived before. I believe, I hope, the Lord has opened our eyes in these areas. I know he's convicted me, like in, in, in some of these areas, you know. Am I the kind of father that I could be? Am I the kind of husband that I, that I should be? I honestly believe and I hope that the Lord has been speaking to you and that he's been opening your eyes. And I think that the Lord has also been changing us. Some of us radically in some of these areas. And guess what? When the Lord moves in that way and we go instead of darkness, we head toward the light. Guess what? The devil hates that. No wonder verse 10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Because he's coming. He's coming at you. The enemy hates what God is doing in your life. You can almost hear the bugle call as Paul rallies troops. He says, verse 11, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle, that is, think hand to hand combat. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, Take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Now, those are all the verses we're going to cover today. But I want you to see Paul's military theme continue. Verse 14, stand, therefore, having girded your waist with the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet, that is, put your combat boots on. With the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. 
praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Y'all, this is a military call to arms. All the guys should be going, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Well, that's awesome. And and that should be our attitude. But before we even get to the weaponry, we're going to really get to that next week. Okay. Before we even get to that, Paul wants to address the troops in verses 10 to 13. After all, I think you would agree. You can have the most advanced weapons in the world unless you train the soldier first. The weapons are useless or or dangerous. Anybody here see the movie in the last few months, Captain America? Lisa and I did. We've seen more movies in the last few months than we we have in 10 years. It's awesome. Um, I think so. This is a good movie. It's it's fun and and mindless. My kind of movie. Um, Captain America, it's about this 98-pound weakling, right? Kid who has the heart of a lion. He's trapped in the body of a lab rat. And the first thing they did, basically, I mean, they tried to get him through through basic training. But before they gave him that famous shield, they, they, they strapped him in this machine. And they turned this 98-pound weakling into like a 2% body fat Adonis fighting machine. No, no. <laughs> exactly. Illustration. Yeah. Okay. Um, but actually, think about that. They, they, they strap him in, in this machine and they fill him with power. That's actually a really good picture of verse 10. I, I'll read it twice. I'll read verse 10 twice. The first time I want to give the guys the, the chance to get the gusto. Okay. Guys, just the guys. You guys read the power words when I pause and read them with gusto. Ready? Finally, my brethren, be Oh, that wasn't very much gusto. Finally, my brethren, be strong. There you go. That's awesome. In the Lord and in the power of his might. Awesome. That, that's truly the, the feeling we're supposed to be getting when we read these verses. It's a call to arms. It's Paul saying, man up. But I don't want you to miss the main point of verse 10. Really, this is probably the best way to read it. Finally, my brethren, be strong. In the Lord and in the power of his might. Truly, that's the the main emphasis of verse 10. And again, the context is really important. This is after Paul has said, wives live this way. Husbands live this way. Kids live this way. To be a supernatural, supportive wife in a world filled with zombie wives that, that run down their husbands. You need to be filled with the spirit and you need to be strong when the onslaught comes against you. Right. It's true for husbands, truth for sons, daughters. It's true for employees. You need to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, not yours. What did Jesus say? I am the vine. You are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Interesting to me, the words be strong in verse 10. Is in dynamo, and you know it's where we get uh, dynamo or dynamite. It means power. But really interesting to me is the uh, the, the verb tense of it and that kind of thing. It's it's to strengthen, to empower, but it's in the passive imperative. Think about that. It's in the passive. That means it's done to you. And in the imperative, verse ten. Finally, my brethren, be strengthened. That is by a source outside yourself. 
in the Lord and in the power of his might. Again, the Captain America picture comes to mind. He was strapped into this machine and he passively laid there while this massive power current was sent through his body and it made him strong. That is the picture here. And interesting, look at look down to verse 11. It says, put on the whole armor of God. You know, when I looked into the, the Greek for that word put on, it's a word that you use about clothing, but it literally it's sink into sink into the armor of God. How many of you have been here for a little while and you've heard me talk about abiding? You remember abiding? That is the best illustration we could think of is to it's like a lazy boy chair and you just settle in. You sink into abiding in Jesus. It's awesome. How do we define that word to sink down into to like a lazy boy recliner to settle into the sweet spot, to be so connected with Jesus that his will becomes ours. His creativity becomes ours. All that is his becomes ours. So this word to be strengthened, it says, uh, finally, be strengthened. It's passive. That is, you don't operate in your own strength. You don't strengthen yourself. He strengthens you. But interestingly, it's also imperative. How does that work? Passive. You don't do it, but I'm commanding you to do it. Here's how it works. It's both passive, yet it's a command. In Captain America. Sorry, that's my theme apparently today. Need a little shield. Um. Captain America, the 98-pound weakling, by the way, right now in the illustration, that's you, (laughs) us, didn't do anything. He was strengthened from the outside himself. He was passive, right? But guess what? He had to decide to get in that thing. (laughs) He had to decide to be strapped in. That is your command. That is the imperative part. Jesus says, abide in me and I in you and you will produce good fruit. And Paul's saying, look, finally, my brethren, above all, settle in, sink into his power, be strengthened by the power of his might. What does Philippians 4.13 says? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on or sink into the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Soldiers, speaking to you. If you're not a Christian yet, you're in a whole different battle than we are. If you're not in a, if you're not a Christian yet, you're in truly a fight for your life, and Jesus is the only one who can rescue you. But I presume that many of us, most of us here, are Christian. And if you're a Christian, I'm speaking to you as a soldier. There's an outline for the, for the rest of our text. I see Paul has three main topics that he's wanting to address to prepare us for the battle that will come to us. Number one, know your adversary. Number two, know your assignment. And number three, know your advantage. Number one, know your adversary. Y'all, this is elementary. It's absolutely essential, though. Is something that, that we need to understand. Christians spend untold hours and lots and lots of energy, y'all, fighting the wrong adversary. Look at verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. He's your enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. People. Christian, we do not wrestle against people. 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Number one, Christian soldier, in your battles, know your adversary. Anytime I find myself fighting, struggling with flesh and blood, that is people, I'm fighting the wrong battle. You find yourself struggling, wrestling, doing battle with your husband, your wife, your boss, your employees. If there is rage going on between you and your kids, you are fighting the wrong enemy. Anytime you struggle against flesh and blood, you are missing the unseen battle that's really at the root of the problem. You know, I can tell you from experience, without exception, when Lisa and I are in an argument, I I mean, if that were ever to happen, (laughs) the, the breakthrough moment happens when I remember this is not about flesh and blood. And when I actually say out loud something like this, we're on the same team. The devil wants us to think that we are not on the same team. Y'all, that's the breakthrough moment when she apologizes. No, 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 no. No, the Bible says, know your enemy. And listen, listen, your enemy is not your spouse. The enemy tells you it's your spouse, but it's not. Your enemy is not your kids. It's not your boss. It's not the Muslims. It's not the Democrats. It's not the Republicans. It's not politicians. Really? Um, It's not homosexuals. It's not new agers. Verse 12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood people, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Those are the. People that the the entities that you're fighting and in verse 12 there, that list of wicked hosts, they all report to the name that's at the end of verse 11. Did you see it? Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The name in the original language is Diablos. It means slanderer can pretty much tell he's not a good guy by his name. His name is actually Slanderer, right? And he's smarter than this. He wouldn't come up to you and say, here's my card. I'm the Slanderer. But he is. He's the father of lies. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the thief who's dedicated the rest of his defeated experience to steal from you. To kill you and to destroy those whom you love. Paul says, know your enemy. First of all, make sure you're fighting the right one. But you also need to know some things about your enemy. And Paul reveals quite a bit here in these verses. First, I want you to see your enemy, the one who hates you so much. He's methodical. He is strategic. Look at verse 11. It says it talks about the wiles of the devil. The word wiles is cunning arts, deceit, craft, trickery. It really comes to light when you think about the in the original language, it's methodia, methodical. Your enemy is methodical. The word means by method and settled strategy. Y'all, Satan is real and he's very good at what he does. And he's methodical and he's patient. 
He's perfectly willing to set a trap that won't spring for years to kill your marriage, to steal relationships with your kids, to destroy your reputation. He's willing to let you nibble on that piece of cheese for years and years with no apparent consequences until one day the trap springs and you're caught. He is methodical, strategic, cunning, deceitful. And his name is Diablos. The thing that he whispers in your ear is slander, and it's primarily slander against God. You may have not thought of it this way, but that's exactly what he's... Maybe he whispered that to you this morning. Something like this. If God really cared about you, why would he let this happen to you? You deserve better than the spouse that God gave you. Maybe some of you say, well, I don't even believe the devil exists. Interesting, as I was studying uh, from the, the art of war. Okay, I didn't read the book. <laughs> it's a pretty big book, and I'm not really a soldier. But um, the, this Chinese philosopher, right, wrote the, basically a book that people for centuries and centuries have studied. It's amazing about the art of war. Listen to what this uh, Chinese philosopher wrote. Number one, all warfare is based on deception. And if you think that Satan is not real, listen to this. This is his, his advice to any uh, admiral, anyone that's, that's uh, strategizing a war. He says, be extremely subtle, even to the point of formlessness. Extremely mysterious, even to the point of soundlessness. Thereby, you can be the director of the opponent's fate. Don't let him know you exist. Now, don't misunderstand. The devil is at the helm of it all, okay? But you need to understand that you personally probably are not the devil's primary goal. He's probably not actually whispering the words physically into your ear. Because unlike God, the devil is not omnipresent. He's a created being. He can't be all these places at one time. He can't even be two places at one time. So it's not actually the devil that's working on you, okay? He's got minions to do that. He's got these fallen angels called demons. Maybe yours is named Harry. I don't know. But look, it's real. Verse 12, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Y'all, we're going to have to move very quickly through this because there's just so much to cover. But you could do... Uh, you could learn a lot just from, from these words, from these, this verse. But let, let me just kind of quickly, if I can, the word principality is there. If you want to write down somewhere Daniel 10 and, and go and search there, basically, principality would be the prince of a, of a territory, of a region. Right? There are apparently high-ranking angels that are given territories. Daniel 10, basically, this angel comes to Daniel. And it says, as soon as the angel, this is a good angel, as soon as he touches him, Daniel begins quaking, just trembling. And the angel apparently doesn't let go of him because he's still trembling. And he says, hey, I'm sorry I'm late. I was in a wrestling match with a fallen prince of Persia. 21 days we wrestled. And then finally, I called in for reinforcements. Michael the archangel came and we tag teamed him. And here I am. Sorry I'm late. Okay, real prince, 
principality, a real prince um, of the darkness. Verse 12, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. Then it says against powers. And again, I'm going to have to just go pretty quickly through here. This is another word for authority or influence. Probably a real good way to help you understand this is we have this phrase called the powers that be, right? It's just like hidden people that somehow make the decisions that always make our lives miserable. Okay, that's it. Powers. Okay? But again, they're not real physical people, but they are the powers that be. It's the political climate, the economic situation, the moral climate. I don't know if you've noticed, all of it's kind of being affected by these powers. Against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness. The word darkness there is scotia. It's uh, night or blindness. Against the rulers of the darkness, the night, the blindness of this age. The same idea here. There's talking about influencers of world affairs. um, Puppet master of this whole darkened age until Jesus comes back. Okay? But notice it does say of this age. That means only for a while. Let me cut to the chase. Here's what we know about the enemy from this verse. He is methodical. He's organized. He's got him in ranks. He's got them all set out. He's got his minions in ranks. They have authority and they have influence. And it says the heavenlies, the high places. He's got friends in high places. And he's got two goals, according to verse 12. Number one, he wants to keep you. As, you're a child of light, so it's much harder with you. But he wants to keep you in as much darkness as he can. He's the, it says the, the rulers of darkness. That means blindness. And he especially wants to keep your loved ones in spiritual blindness as long as possible. And his other goal, it says, is they're the host of wickedness. His other goal is to make this earth, his battleground, as wicked as and depraved and dangerous as possible. Does anybody notice he's pretty good at his job? I'll just give you a super brief observation of how this works. The fact that he has his people in their places and he he influences without us hardly even knowing it. You guys know the, the phenomena of the flash mob? Right over the last few years, it's like, oh, it's this fun thing that people do. And, and they get together and they, they sing and they surprise people. Right. It's awesome. You know that in the last few weeks, it's come now that flash mobs are becoming flash mobs. People are, are using the same ideas, same technology, say, let's show up at the 7-Eleven, all 30 of us at one time and they can't stop us. And we'll just take whatever we want. Who do you think came up with that idea? Thank you. The devil and his minions. How could so many people sign up to do such a a wicked thing? How could such a fun thing start to be twisted into such an evil thing? Verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Paul says, soldier, you need to know your adversary. He's methodical, he's organized, he's patient, he has great influence on the world's affairs for darkness, for wickedness. Oh, and he hates your guts. Is anyone encouraged yet? Shall we wrap it up? No, wait, there's there's actually good stuff. Hopefully you will be soon. Here we go. Number two, soldier, know your assignment. Any good soldier needs to know his assignment. You're thinking, well, what is my assignment? Well, let's, let's see if you can figure it out. 
I'm hoping you can figure it out. When I pause, you read the next word. Verse 11. Soldier, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to verse 14 stand. Therefore, did you figure it out? Your job, soldier, is to stand. Pastor Gibb in Orlando has a great title, perhaps the best title I ever thought of. The title of one of his messages was, Don't Just Do Something, Stand There. I like that. Y'all, this is really good news, though, and it fits in with the truth of the gospel. Listen, if you are a Christian, as, as organized and methodical as the enemy, enemy is, you don't have to be scared of it. You are not fighting. If you're a Christian, you are not fighting for victory. The Bible says you are fighting from victory. The victory that he's already won. Jesus has already conquered death, sin, our adversary, right? He's already kicked in the gates of hell, if you will. He's led captivity captive, giving gifts to men. He's embarrassed our biggest foes, sin and death, to where we can say, death, where's your sting? And now he just tells us, soldier, stand Firm. Occupy until I return. The word stand, it means not to give ground. And it's also interesting in light of the word wrestle in verse 12. Because the word wrestle there, again, I think hand to hand combat, but literally a wrestle back then, it was uh, used when two opponents would try to be the last one standing. It means to throw down to the ground. The last one standing, y'all, is the victor. Now, some people imagine spiritual warfare. Perhaps you've been taught this. They imagine spiritual warfare as the church bashing down the gates of hell. Right? They, they, they get that from Matthew 16, verse 18, when Jesus is speaking to Peter, says, Upon this rock, right, I'll build my church. And he says, And the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And some people will take that message and they'll say, OK, so we're supposed to as a church, we're supposed to go and invade the, the gates of hell. Well, what's in there that you would want? I mean, it, I understand your thinking, but it makes a lot more sense when you learn this. In ancient days, the gates of any city were where the leaders gathered to decide things. Sometimes they would gather to plot and strategize to scheme for a war. Do you get it? The gates of hell are filled with the prince, the other prince, the, the powers, all, all, of the, all of the folks mentioned in verse 12. To me, if you understand it this way, it totally fits in with the context of where Paul is going here in Ephesians. Here's the idea, guys. Christian, you read Ephesians. You start walking, actually walking worthy of a high calling that you've been blessed with. You decide to, for instance, put off the old you every day, put on the new you. You decide to be filled continually with his Holy Spirit, not be drunk with wine, but be filled to overflowing with his Holy Spirit. You become the wife or the husband or the child, the parent, the employee that you know that the Lord knows you can be. You live this supernatural, impossible life. People start noticing it. They start saying stuff like, where do you go to church? 
I've noticed something's different about you. I want to, I want to go where you go. I, or they say, look, I, I've always thought you were one of those crazy Christians. Okay, you're still crazy, but, but I know that you pray. And I've got this thing. Will you pray for me? Guess what? When stuff like that starts to happen, there's going to be an emergency meeting at the gates of hell. Do you get it? And right after that, I can guarantee you, comes the onslaught. That's when you need these verses. Verse 13, therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand those onslaughts in the evil day and having done all to stand. Soldier, your whole job is just to stand. Do not be moved from your position. What is your position? Trusting in, abiding in Jesus. And notice that it says, in the evil day. You guys heard this, right? I'm sure all of us have probably said it at one, one point because it's true. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, right? The opposite is also true, right? The devil hates your guts and is plotting and planning your destruction. And we now know he's methodical, he's patient. He's setting a trap and he is looking for the right time to spring it. Guess what that is? The evil day. The day when you're tired. You're just completely worn out. The day when you're hungry or, or you're, you're ticked off. He's waiting for the evil day when he can tempt you, when he can spring the trap and take you down. He launch an attack out of nowhere to take you down. Paul says that's when you need to make sure that your armor is on. You, you never know when it's coming. You need to have your armor on. Again, today, unfortunately, we're not even going to get to the, the armor, all that it does. But this is what Paul is saying. You need to have your armor on. Because you never know when the, the evil day will fall upon you. Usually you find out, if, if it starts at 8, you find out about 4 o'clock. It's like, man, this was an evil day. It, you don't even know it's happening until it's happening. Paul says, get your armor on. Be ready. John Corson, Calvary Chapel pastor, gives a great picture. He says, okay, talking about being ready, imagine... A picture of the the storming of Normandy, right? All the ships, all everything's going, and all of the troops are dressed in their PJs, or they're in their swim trunks and their flip flops. You need your armor on. You never know when an attack will come, and your whole job is just to stand your ground. But you need the whole. Armor of God. Verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand his onslaughts in the evil day and having done all to stand victorious. Soldiers, in our introductory class on the armor of God, so far we've learned, look, know your adversary. Your adversary is spiritual. He's organized. He's methodical. He hates your guts. Number two, know your assignment. Your assignment is to simply stand your ground. Jesus has purchased the victory for you. Your assignment is just to to stand your ground. And number three, know your advantage. Know your advantage is your Savior. We could easily begin to, and I, I bet you it happened, 
while we were talking, while I was talking this morning, you weren't doing any talking. Um, I bet you it happened to, to start to think this way. Well, man, the devil, he's methodical. He's patient. He's got his minions. He runs the whole world system. And I am just an awful, wretched man who can't seem barely to get out of bed without sinning. To think, what in the world do I have? I am so outmanned, outgunned. Here's what you have. Jesus. It's always a good answer. Let's hear it. Jesus. Guess what? Jesus is a warrior. And he's a really good one. You guys remember Luke chapter 4? You can turn there if you want. Jesus is just beginning his ministry. Luke chapter 4, verse 16. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. So he stands up. Hasn't said a word up till now, I bet. Finds a spot. He goes, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind and set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Verse 20 says, then he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant and sat down and all the eyes all the eyes of him, of those, let's try that again. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. They were stunned. I mean, that takes guts to read that with the authority that he did. Verse 21, and he began to say to them, today, the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, I just read my mission statement. Oh, that is awesome. It's understated, heroic. Do you, do you get that? It's like Jesus closes the book and without a word, he's basically saying, uh, that's what I was sent to do. And I'm going to do it. I'm going to set captives free. I'm going to heal mental, physical blindness. I, before it's over, I'm going to kick in the gates of hell and claim what's my father's. Any questions? That's the kind of warrior he is. Luke 11. Listen to this. He gets into this discussion. He, he, he's healing people, doing exactly what he promised to do in, in, uh, in uh, Luke 4. And people start accusing him, saying, well, he's healing people by the prince of darkness, by Beelzebub. Luke 11, verse 19, Jesus says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, the finger of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Now listen to this. And it seems out of left field, but in the context of our teaching this morning, it totally makes sense. Jesus says, when a strong man, and he's talking about Satan, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are in peace. But when a stronger than he comes upon him and overcomes him and takes from him all his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils. And then he basically says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Do you hear it? Again, words of a hero. Saying, let me tell you what just happened when I, when I healed this guy. There was a strong man, a very strong man. He had his armor on. I went in, beat him up, took his armor off. 
And now he's embarrassed. And in verse 23, it's almost again like that heroic call. He says, look, are you with me or against me? Our, our Lord is a mighty warrior. Isaiah 59, we're, we're going to look at the, the actual pieces of armor next week. But I want you to see this. I think Paul must have been reading Isaiah 59 on his quiet time when he wrote Ephesians 6. Because listen to Isaiah 59, verse 17. Speaking of the Lord, okay, then they don't know his name. They just know that he's coming someday, the Messiah. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and was clad with zeal as a cloak. And, and what the Bible says here is we are to put on his armor, the armor of God. Again, we're going to dig more into the actual armor, but I just wanted you guys to see our commander is large and in charge. He really is. Let me, let me break this down for you. What I honestly think the Lord is trying to do today. Over the last few weeks, some of you, I hope most of us, I'd love to be all of us, have been convicted about being a better husband or a godly wife. Being filled to overflowing with His Spirit. Being the child that He wants you to be. Being the parent that He wants you to be. Being the employee or the employee that's filled to overflowing with it, does things that the, like the world doesn't do. And if I know you like I know me, since you've been convicted, you've had some days of success. And then the enemy had a conference at the gates of hell. And he's tried some new strategies perhaps on you. Definitely some same old strategies that have always worked. You hear the voice of the Lord saying this morning, soldier, don't you dare lay down. This war is already won. You stand, not in your own strength, in my strength. Let's just read it to close. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Because they're coming. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, soldier, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand victorious. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you. Thank you, Lord, so much that you first came as our Redeemer, our Rescuer. You paid a price that there was no way that we could pay. You rescued us from condemnation. You made us justified just as if we'd never sinned. You fit us for battle. Lord, you tell us here that we need to be strengthened in you. Lord, I, I hear that to mean to abide in you. To let you strengthen us with your power, your might. Lord, you know the stories that are in this room. Those who have actually taken your word to heart. And they've had some successes. And the enemy has come against them. Lord, would you deal another crushing blow? Would you just work on the hearts of your saints? Would you embarrass the enemy again today? 
We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.